0: You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football today. This is it. The stage is set. We are set for championship Saturday. Top four teams of the college football playoff will be named tonight. We'll know who they are. Rock and Rich Sermonello. If last night was any indication, it's going to be a great Saturday at college
1: football. This is why we watch and evaluate college football all season, all off season. This is something Joe and I will break down 12 months out of the year, really for this express purpose to have an opportunity to see not only who makes the playoffs, Joe, but also who is going to be a conference champion. Let's not forget about that importance. You know, it's still a big deal to win the SEC title, to win the Big Ten title, to be crowned. Big 12 champion, which we haven't had uh, this game since the beginning of the decade. So it's a chance to get some hardware, but also by the end of the weekend, we will know the playoff matchup. Yeah, we will. Four great games, Power
0: 5 championships taking place. Starts at 12 o'clock with TCU in Oklahoma. Sit back, relax. Rich and I have you covered for the next three hours. Big show on tap at 1024 Eastern. We'll be joined by former Georgia Bulldog wide receiver Corey Allen. We'll get Corey's take about what Kirby Smart and the Bulldogs have to do to get the upset against number 2 Auburn at 11.24 Eastern. We'll be joined by former Auburn captain Corey Barlow. We'll get Corey's take about what Gus Malzahn, On Johnson, and Jared Stidham have to do to win back-to-back against the Bulldogs. And then at 10.39 and 11.39, we'll be joined by Game Time Decisions host Gabe Morenci. We'll get Gabe's best bets for the day. Rich, though, last night, Pac-12 Championship, Sam. Sam Darnold and the crew got it done 31-28 to 28 in a great game. He passed for 325 yards and two touchdowns. But David Shaw's fourth down uh, call in that ballgame, a little disconcerting if you're a Cardinal fan.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a competitive game. I thought it was a, a fun game to kick off the weekend, sort of the appetizer to championship weekend. Joe, this was a game that USC, I thought, had to win. You know, we, we look at uh, the offseason and the summer, Many of us thought USC was going to be a playoff contender. I thought they were going to disappoint. They did with the losses to Washington State and to Notre Dame, that debacle in South Bend. So they had to get a Pac-12 championship that was big for Clay Helton, big for Sam Darnold. I was, again impressed by the running of Ronald Jones who might be the most underrated running back in the country. He is fantastic. He really helped balance out that offense. And yeah, David Shaw, I didn't think called a great game. I wonder with Stanford, and I like the program and I like David Shaw, I wonder if they've sort of hit a plateau at this point. If this is as good as, as it gets to be a Pac-12 North champion.
0: Yeah, we'll see. I mean, their fourth loss on of the year. Bryce Love injured for much of that game. You brought up Ronald Jones. He did pound the rock for 140 yards last night and two rushing touchdowns. I was very impressed with the defensive front seven in, in very critical situations on third downs, forcing uh, KJ Costello to beat them over the top, and he made some plays, but in the end, USC did prevail 31-28, to their first Pac-12 championship since 2008. So Clay Helton and the crew got it done. Congrats to USC. When we come back, Rich and I will be talking about the big battles, also the coaching changes, and we look at at the Tennessee situation up next. This is Joe Lisi and Rick Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network Studio 34. On college football today. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from Studio 34. If you want to talk college football with us, give us a call, 844 843 6879. That's 844 843 6879. You can follow me on Twitter at GoForTheTwo. You can follow Rich on Twitter at Rich Sermonello. That's C I R M I N O. I-E-L-L-O, huge day at college football, but more importantly, Rich, a huge week in college football culminated yesterday with the hiring of former Florida State head coach Jimbo Fisher taking a 10-year, $75 million contract to coach Texas A&M and the repercussions across the college football world just now the ripple effect across each and every program.
1: On, on many levels, too. I, I thought Jimbo did a bad job of handling this situation. We saw a tweet last night from DeAndre Francois, injured starting quarterback for the Seminoles, in which he... And I'm paraphrasing, he basically said, you could have said something, you could have texted us, you could have told, uh, told us something. You know, Jimbo, all season long, Joe, has been telling his kids after the slow start, after losing DeAndre, don't quit on this team you know what, remain focused, let's fight together as brothers, let's fight together as a singular unit. And then he just bolts. I, I don't mind a coach taking a job. It's a lot of money. I, I think there was a lot of friction within the administration and Jimbo Fisher. So to take that $75 million, go to a College Station where they have great facilities, a lot of opportunities for success, tough division in the SEC West. But to do it the way he did really bothered me because these coaches, oftentimes, they sell these kids as one unit, but when it's time to go, they simply bolt. And in terms of the ramifications, there are many because Florida State, one of the best jobs in the country, one of the best in college football, is now open, which a lot of us did not expect a couple of weeks ago.
0: Yeah, and we'll see who they go after. You could look at Willie Taggart from Oregon. You could look at Lane Kiffrin from FAU. or, Or also now... Scott Frost has to be in play. Many thought he would go to his alma mater of Nebraska. But now if money talks, does Scott Frost stay in the state of Florida? Should they win an AAC championship today over Memphis? We'll see who Florida State goes to. And I agree with you. We've said this before about coaches. We tell the kids to... Play for 60 minutes, play for four quarters. You sit in these kids' houses with their parents. I'll treat him like he's my own. And then you can't even wait till the end of the season. It's one thing to take the job. Not a problem with that. I understand it's more money and you want to coach against maybe Nick Saban and Gus Malzahn and some of the better programs in college football. But Jimbo Fisher as a whole, since he won the national championship in 2013, has really slid the in the opposite direction yeah. with top five talent in, in Tallahassee, that's the first, uh, you know, comment that I want to make. And then the other is when you recruit these kids and you beg the administration for the the, the extra
1: game against UL Monroe today, and then you don't even want to coach it? Well, the one thing I'll say about that, I, I don't want to take Jimbo off the hot seat in this case, uh, but I, I think it became common knowledge that he was leaving. Could you have put him out there? in Tallahassee in front of those fans I think it was almost a security risk for Jimbo Fisher I don't think in light of the fact I mean it's amazing the times that we live in with social media there were actually pictures of Jimbo's Christmas tree on the front of his property. I mean, it became obvious he was leaving his home in the state of Florida to take a different job. So could you put that coach out there when the fans are obviously rabid, they're angry. I don't think he could have coached today, so I'm not going to put blame on him for that. Maybe he wanted to coach, but I think it would have been a security risk. But listen, I, I think the interesting factor here is I think Willie Taggart is going to be the next coach in Tallahassee. He knows the state of Florida, recruits very well in the Sunshine State. He's from that area, had success at Western Kentucky, got off to a good start at Oregon. Watch Willie Taggart go to the Seminoles... You're no longer going to have that massive buyout. And that was a big problem, too. Jimbo's contract included a $40 million buyout. So he had that university over a barrel. What if this was the beginning of a steady decline for the Seminoles? Five and six this year. What if they started to become like an eight and nine team In the future, you had that $40 million buyout. You were stuck with this guy. So in a weird way, I think Florida State, Joe, sort of got a break. They're going to regroup, in my opinion, with Willie Taggart, which means who is going to be the next coach at Oregon if, in fact, that happens. Remember, Scott Frost also was an assistant Could
0: there. be. It could be. Everybody seems to feel that Scott Frost, it's a done deal. But I'm not so sure about that, especially today. If UCF beats Memphis in the conference championship, Scott Frost could be a major player for a lot of programs, especially when money talks, like I mentioned. And you mentioned Jimbo Fisher it, it, twofold. Can he win at Texas A&M is the main question. Uh, $75 million, there is no margin for for error. He has two young quarterbacks. He has Kellen Mond. He has Starkle. Uh, Can this team win now? Immediately, That's going to be the key question because he's going to be having to recruit against Nick Saban, Gus Malzahn, whoever takes the Arkansas job, Ed Ogeron at LSU that has done a, a fantastic job there. Can he win immediately? Because if it starts out eight and five, nine and three, that's what Kevin Sumlin did. And, yep. you know, now you're paying the guy 75 million,
1: 7.5 million a year. Joe, I I couldn't have said it any better myself. That was my exact thought when I saw the news breaking yesterday and then I saw the contract. And more power to him, more power to his agent. He's now the second highest paid coach in college football behind Nick Saban. But guess what? If you're the second paid highest coach, You're not going to to be accepted if it's Kevin Sumlin-type numbers. Kevin Sumlin was an eight-win-a-year coach, and Texas A&M made a statement when they fired Sumlin and went after Fisher that that is not acceptable. And I buy that. If you're going to pay $7.5 million a year, that means that the university expects championships. At a minimum, an SEC championship every now and again, that's a lot of pressure for Jimbo Fisher. And I also like your point about what Jimbo has done over the last couple of seasons. If you take out, and I know it's not fair, we've done this with Johnny Manzella at right. Texas A&M, but if you take out those couple of seasons with Jameis Winston, Jimbo Fisher is about a nine win a year coach. And if that's what he's doing at Texas A&M, arguably the toughest division in the country, I don't think that's going to be uh, acceptable. So two or three years from now, we might have uh, Jimbo Fisher kind of a little hot under the collar as well.
0: I agree. And the one thing I think when you look at Florida state over the last couple of years, even though Charles Kelly led that turnaround last year, this hasn't been a dominant defense. If Texas A&M is going to get back to the old days of the wrecking crew, they need to play with a physicality. Now they played much better this year, especially in run support, but he's going to have to take that defense up to another level immediately. And he. John Chavis was there. Let's see who he brings in as his defensive coordinator. Now, for Florida State, Odell Hagens will, the former Florida State defensive lineman, will coach this team against UL Monroe. But it's very intriguing developments throughout the nation.
1: Yeah, I mean, this has been, for me, you and I combined probably have about 30-plus years of college football experience in terms of covering the sport. I, I never can remember a week as zany from a coaching standpoint than we have had this week. I mean, we've had the Tennessee debacle. John Curry out as the athletic director. First, they make an offer to, to Greg Shiano. The fans go berserk uh, on the campus, on Twitter, and then Shiano doesn't get the offer. Now, Tennessee is in a very awkward position in which they need a head coach to permanently replace butch jones they've brought phil fulmer back to be the athletic director <laughs> but there is no head coach and they're, a, they're they've gone about eight or nine deep in terms of candidates where does tennessee go at this point and have we reached the stage if the volunteers are going to get a c-tier coach if they're going to go after t martin who i don't believe is ready for this job is it time to say you know, maybe Brady Hoke is on staff. Make him the interim coach for one year and then start this process over again in 2018.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And we spoke about it before the show in terms of the Sandusky trial outside the whole situation, apples to apples, if it never happened or if it was never part of the equation, because I, I don't want to go there in terms of the, where, we're, where we're going with the show, but I don't think Greg Schiano was the right fit for Tennessee. I think they should have went with a young defensive coordinator. I mentioned Jeremy Pruitt. You could have went for a guy like Brett Venables, a, a big name D coordinator at Clemson. Why did you go with Greg Schiano, who didn't coach the team in Tampa Bay, left early, He coached Rutgers up to a certain point, but he's a Northeast
1: guy. He's not a Southeastern Conference coach. Uh, SEC, as you know, Joe, completely different animal. I believe to be successful in the SEC, you have to have an infrastructure. You need contacts in that area from a recruiting perspective. And you have to know what that land. It's like nothing else in the country. I'm not I don't know if the SEC is the best conference Easily the most passionate conference. I mean, it really truly does mean more in the SEC. And if you've never coached in that conference and you're coming from the Rutgers, the Ohio State, briefly with the Buccaneers, I don't, Greg Shiano to me was. A horrible choice. I think right from the outset, it was a bad decision. Greg would not have been successful. Greg is a good coach, but to me, he's a specialist. He worked well in the state of New Jersey. He worked well where the expectations were low. To put him in Knoxville, where they've been waiting for years or even an SEC East title, I think it would have been a disaster.
0: I agree. He's a Big Ten coach, let's be honest. He, uh, Greg Schiano, if he does get another ho- head coaching job, it's going to be in the Big Ten or the AAC for that type of success that you're looking for. So, very intriguing week of college football, but this is what it's all about. Stay with us. When we come back, we'll dive right into the SEC Championship. Georgia and Auburn, Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonella live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Studio 34. 844- 84 FNTSY. That's 844 843 6879. The Fancy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source 24 hours a day.
1: Huge
0: SEC Championship rematch. Georgia Auburn teams played three weeks ago in which auburn won on the plains 40 to 17 rich this is an auburn tiger team that has won their last three sec championship appearances by 22 points per game the last auburn loss in an sec championship came in 2000 to the florida gators 28 to 6 but I'm all in with Kirby Smart in
1: the rematch. I think the Bulldogs get a 14-point victory later today. I'm surprised you feel that way. I thought superstition would have taken over. And <laughs> and you normally do not pick your Bulldogs out of superstition. I'm feeling uh, strong. I hope you're wrong because I really like Auburn. Now, I, I recognize difficult to beat a good team, and Georgia's a very good football team, difficult to beat a good team twice in a season, let alone within the course of a month. And I also recognize that, Carry on, Johnson, they could say he's day-to-day. He's a game-time decision. I don't think he's going to be 100%. I, I really don't. I, I think looking at how much pain he was in with his shoulder, I don't think they're playing possum. I think the kid is not going to be 100%, which obviously impacts that Auburn offense. I don't know if Jared Stidham can carry more of the weight against the Georgia Speed, but the reason why I like Auburn is I think they're just physically a better football team. At the line of scrimmage, and we've both watched... These teams, George and Auburn, a lot this year at the line of scrimmage, whether it's offensive line or defensive line with kids like Dontavius Russell, they're just better at the line of scrimmage. And George is very good. Auburn is playing at an elite level. So if Kerryon Johnson is not 100%, even Cam Martin, his backup, not 100%, the way that offensive line is blocking, led by Braden Smith, I'm not saying it's plug and play. But I think even a Cam Martin can have some success, number one. And number two, regardless of the situation with on Johnson, Joe, what did we see in that first game? The inability of Georgia to run the football. Georgia has to run the ball to beat good opponents because if they don't, it puts too much pressure on the young quarterback, Jake Fromm. And I think that's exactly what happens today in Atlanta. I think Auburn's defense is going to win the day. It'll be a much more entertaining, closer game, for sure, but I think Auburn gets an SEC championship and a playoff.
0: Break. Yeah, you bring up great points, and here's what I look at when I look at the rematch. Georgia's played very well on the road; they're five and one this year. And in 2016, they lost five games. Four of those opponents they played in 2017 teams like Vanderbilt, teams like Tennessee, Florida, and Georgia Tech. They won all four of those ball games, Rich, by a combined score of 166 to 28, or 34 and a half points per game over the last couple of games. Now, Georgia's been able to run the football. They put up 381 two weeks ago against Kentucky. They also put up 247 last week in the rivalry uh, rematch against Georgia Tech. They won that matchup 38-7. to They have eight rushing touchdowns over the last couple of games. I agree with you that Jake Fromm's going to have to make plays, but I think Georgia's very aggressive here. A couple of factors as well. When you look at the matchup against Alabama, that front seven of Auburn, even though they won that matchup by 12 points, they did allow 211 rushing yards to the Alabama Crimson Tide. Does that play a factor into this ball game? I think it does, and I think the, fr- the
1: offensive line of Georgia gets healthy in this matchup. They win by 13. I-, I think if there's a factor, Joe, that concerns me about the Alabama game is that really every opponent of the Tide just gets beat up when they play Alabama. That was a very physical game. It was a very emotional game. Winning the Iron Bowl is a huge deal for Auburn or Alabama in the seasons they win. That would be a concern of mine. Not to say that you need to get up for the SEC championship game, but physically Alabama will take you behind the woodshed. I mean, it's a 12-round fight, and that is a concern of mine. But, again, I think better defense of Auburn. I think you have the better, more experienced quarterback. I've been impressed by Jarrett Stidham. He really has gotten progressively better as the season has progressed. I think Georgia's going to have a problem moving the ball. I have been so impressed by that defense of Kevin Steele, they've been fantastic. And also, one uh, final point for me, Chip Lindsey, the offensive coordinator that Gus Malzahn brought in, did such a phenomenal—I went back and watched the game from uh, from uh, early, uh, in November between these two teams. A lot of misdirection, a lot of keeping Georgia on its heels. That he was really able to neutralize the speed of those linebackers— keeping them guessing. I thought he game planned very well, so even though the personnel might not be the same if carry-on is not 100%, Chip Lindsey, I think, could outfox that Georgia defense for a second time this season.
0: Yeah, That's the matchup. I mean, when you look at that that game three weeks ago, they utilized screen passes, they utilized carry-on Johnson in the short-to-intermediate passing game. He was not only the leading rusher in that ball game, but he was also the leading receiver, and that's Auburn's M.O. They run you sideline to sideline, and then they strike vertically against your defense now when you look at uh, Georgia's defense overall heading into this ball game they're holding opposing offenses to 112 rushing yards per game and only giving up 159 passing yards to opposing quarterbacks Jared Stidham will have to make plays in this rematch now he's completing 68% of his passes 16 touchdowns, 4 interceptions but that offensive line Rich still is a concern they've allowed 27 sacks as an offensive unit and Georgia if they could dial up blitz packages especially in third down situations this is a Georgia defense that's holding opposing offenses to 33 percent on third down conversions that could be the matchup
1: for Kirby Smart and the defensive crew and, and I, I still think you know we go back to those 27 sacks that number inflated by the Clemson game not that we can remove it from the equation but that was 11 sacks in that game 16 over the rest of the season so it's not as alarming as it looks again I think in the trenches Georgia's been good the offensive line better than I thought. I thought in the preseason that the Georgia O-line would be the Achilles heel. Isaiah Wynn, and those guys have done a good job this season, but when you match them up against Dontavius Russell, Derek Brown, Jeff Holland coming off the edge, a lot of players that average fans were not talking about back in August have really done a phenomenal job. They're big in the secondary. They're physical. I think they could neutralize a good but not great receiving core of Georgia. Uh, Listen, not as many points, not as much success for the Auburn offense. Auburn defensively will control this game. It'll be close. It'll be close into the second half. I think Auburn pulls away. They're too hot. I mean, look at what they've done over the last three weeks. They've beaten two top-ranked teams. I don't know if that's ever happened before.
0: And they've expended a lot of energy to beat Georgia. They followed that up with a win against UL Monroe and then the Iron Bowl last week. So I agree with you. This is one of the hottest teams in the country, if not the hottest team in the country. You look at Auburn from a defensive perspective. What can you say about Kevin Steele and the crew holding opposing offenses to 125 runs? rushing yards on the ground, 177 passing yards to opposing quarterbacks. More importantly, 34 total sacks as a defensive unit and holding opposing quarterbacks to 34% on third downs. Jake Fromm will have to make plays, but I look for the tight ends to be a, a factor in this ball game. Blazevic and Nauda, look for them to be aggressive early on. Now, Jake Fromm has played well. He's completed 62% of his passes, 1,990 yards, 19 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. And Georgia was very aggressive against Georgia Tech on the road last week. That's another factor as well. You need to be aggressive early on to open up the running lanes for Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb. I think that's what Georgia does from an offensive perspective.
1: And and I think you can't fall behind. I mean, it sounds like a trite phrase, one we use a lot. But I, I think this is one of those games where... It's imperative for Georgia, which didn't happen in the first matchup, to be in this game early. They have to be able to utilize those backs. That's the one advantage that the Bulldogs have over the Tigers is that deep backfield. I mean, Auburn, we thought they were going to have a deep backfield, but, you know, obviously Cam Petway was going to be the focal point he's out carry on Johnson less than 100% even Cam Martin got dinged up a little bit last week so they don't have the same depth in the backfield not even close that Georgia does right now Georgia goes even deeper than the first two DeAndre Swift right now Holyfield they're very deep in the backfield they have to be able to utilize those backs which means getting off to a fast start taking some early blows from Auburn and being in that game and then being able to rely on Sony and Nick Chubb and the defense, I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be entertaining, a little lower scoring than the first one. But I still see Auburn getting that SEC title. 30-20 is the final that I predict. Let me say one thing. If Georgia wins, by the way, if fans are wondering, winner of this game automatically Mm. punches a ticket. Georgia's got one. Auburn's got one. And then we start to wonder – what happens to Alabama, but that's going to be dictated on, on other outcomes. Correct.
0: I think Georgia, if Georgia wins, Alabama has a chance. If Auburn wins and they win convincingly, I'm not so sure Alabama has a shoe-in based off of that scenario, but we will see. The one thing when you look at Auburn from uh, a road perspective, both of Auburn's losses came in Death Valley earlier in the year, 14-6 to against Clemson. Later in the year, they had the 20-point lead against LSU in Death Valley. Let that lead slip 27 to 23 this is a game that's on turf Auburn's not used to playing on turf and the other factor is this from a, a fan base this game is played in Atlanta so basically be a home game for Georgia but keep in mind this Rich Georgia knew they were going to the SEC championship game from a ticket perspective Auburn didn't know for the most part till they won that matchup last week in the Iron Bowl that they were going most of those fans probably were Alabama fans that held tickets are they selling those to the auburn
1: fans this coming saturday that's an interesting point i didn't think about that uh, yeah they, they've had a head start their fans have had a head start in terms of purchasing tickets at the mercedes-benz uh, auburn didn't know obviously till last weekend in their victory over alabama and you bring up a really good point which is you know at jordan hair it was home crowd unbelievable home atmosphere <laughs> now it's at best it's a neutral Uh, It's neutral in terms of how many fans are in the stands. So different atmosphere. I just like going with the hot team in these settings. I mean, Auburn is playing with such a level of confidence. Jared Stidham has become the player we thought he was going to be. And again, defense, defense, defense. Georgia is great. Auburn is some level above great. It should be a great game, but I, I'd be. be surprised if Auburn loses. I really want to see what carry on looks like. I'm so eager to see the start of that game to see if the kid's 100%. Yeah, if,
0: if you'll know within the first series, if he's not running full bore and he goes down after one tackle, this is a kid that brings it like a Le'Veon Bell. He's a patient runner. I think that's the success that they've had because of his running style. Because you look at the offensive line, this is a kid that waits for those holes to open. So we'll see. It is a 4 o'clock kick. It is on CBS. When Rick. Rich and I come back. We'll be talking about the other conference championships. Joe Lisi and Rich are live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network Studio 34. We spoke about Georgia and Auburn, but there's another hot team in the nation, and they're taking place later tonight in the Big Ten Championship game. It is the Wisconsin Badgers. It is Urban Meyer and Ohio State rematch of the 2014 Big Ten Championship that Ohio State dominated 59 to nothing. These teams played last year in the regular season. Ohio State did pick up a 30 to 23 overtime win in Madison. JT Barrett had surgery, cleaned out a little meniscus. I think he's ready to go, and I think the mobility of Ohio State at the quarterback position is the difference. A close, gutty, 10-point win over the Badgers later
1: today. I I really disagree. I I have been an unabashed cheesehead uh, all season long. I I like this Wisconsin program. I like them more with each passing week. Give me a team that plays old-school, bare-knuckle football. They run the ball. They play great defense. No marquee names at all. A true freshman running back in Jonathan Taylor, but boy, I love this defense. And when you match up two contrasting teams, Ohio State has more blue bloods, Joe. They have more speed. They have more pedigree. They've got the better coach coach. But give me the team that knows how to play bare-knuckle football. Boy, that defense of Wisconsin has been fantastic all year long. JT will be fine in terms of his health. I think he'll struggle struggle against the best pass-efficiency defense in the country. I could see a couple of picks, one going back the other way. Jonathan Taylor getting some hard yards. I think Wisconsin remains undefeated, wins the Big Ten Championship and is the number four seed in the college football playoff.
0: Great point. I could see it going either way. The one thing I think when I break this game down in terms of the Big Ten championship game, it does come down to Wisconsin now. I watched them last week, picked against them with Minnesota, but I thought that Dimory Croft's athleticism would be the difference. The offensive line did not play well for the Golden Gophers. They were one-dimensional, put in third down in long situations, and could not stretch Wisconsin's defense vertically. Here with Ohio State, you have a much, more explosive offense that's balanced. They're rushing for 250 yards on the ground with J.K. Dobbins and they can throw it with J.T. Barrett or Haskins They're passing for 279 yards through the air. They can utilize multiple formations. I'm not so sure it's JT Barrett's arm, but his legs, especially in Wildcat pistol formations, because when you look at Wisconsin's defense overall this year, they haven't faced a quarterback with the athleticism and mobility
1: of Ohio State's crew of JT Barrett and Dwayne Haskins. I I, I think they're, they're so gap disciplined. Uh, They're so strong in the front seven. I mean, really, every level, you don't know the names in most most cases, Natrell Jamerson, uh, Connor Sheehy, uh, Garrett Dooley, TJ Edwards, not household names, but I don't care. These are great college football players. I think they could string out JT Barrett. This is one of those rare cases where I don't think the speed wins. I think the physicality, the defense of Wisconsin, the offensive line has been outstanding, Uh, much like... The Georgia situation, it's incumbent upon Wisconsin to to not take some quick blows, not fall down early. I don't have a ton of faith in Alex Hornibrook if it's comeback mode. Wisconsin has to play Wisconsin football. They haven't been down much at all this year. So if they go down early, I would wonder how they would react in that situation. But think about this, Joe. What team gave Ohio State the most problems this year? Iowa. Iowa did. And Wisconsin, to me, is a rich man's Iowa, right? I mean, the ability to run the ball between the tackles, play good, solid defense with a lot of no-name players, work off of play action. Ohio State has struggled over. All year long in terms of play action. So I could see Hornibook in play action using Troy Fumagalli, his tight end, mixing in the running of Jonathan Taylor. I don't expect this to be a blowout, but I do like, forget the points. I think it's a gift to be getting six points with Wisconsin. Wisconsin has been doubted all year long. These kids are going to be absolutely fired up for this game. Wisconsin, in my opinion, wins it outright. Ohio State has been a little bit overrated all season long, and I think they show it again this evening in Indianapolis.
0: Yeah, I agree with you about Ohio State. I'm not buying Ohio State as an elite team, but I think when you break down this matchup, it does come down to matchups. And I look at Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game against Penn State last year. They struggle with the mobility of Trace McSooley, especially outside the pocket. He was able to put pressure on the perimeter of Wisconsin defense. Different team. I understand that, but this still is Ohio State speed. Now, when you look at Ohio State from a defensive perspective, they're holding opposing offenses right in the area of about 120 rushing yards per game. They're only giving up 179 passing yards to opposing offenses, but the struggles of Wisconsin over the last five games, Rich, has been third downs for the most part. They're only averaging 150 passing yards per game over the last five games. Eight touchdowns, five interceptions, mid Minnesota cannot put them into third down and long situations. I think Ohio State can. and I think they dial up blitz packages, put the pressure
1: on Hornibrook to beat them. You're never going to judge Wisconsin based on passing yards. I mean, this is not a passing program. But they need program. the
0: passing attack to be successful today because they're going to stack need to mix the it up.
1: They'll need to mix it up. But I, I don't think Hornibrook needs to throw for more than – if he throws for 180 and there's some degree of ball control, if Jonathan Taylor could make things happen on the ground – control the clock, control the tempo, play keep away. Again, not offensive line. As much as I love the Ohio State defensive line, I think Wisconsin, to some extent, can neutralize the Nick Boses, the Sam Hubbards, Tyquan Lewis. It's going to be a great matchup in the trenches, no question about it. But think about that Wisconsin defense. Eight straight games. I know they haven't played someone the caliber of Ohio State during that stretch. But eight straight games of allowing no more than 17 points. I think this is a difficult matchup for Ohio State. You know, you got JT Barrett. He's sketchy. He's up and down. He could be very iffy. And as much as they have the you know, the blue chippers at the skill positions, they don't have a true number one running back. J.K. Dobbins has been good. Mike Weber's been good of late. But the wide receivers too, Joe, I think they're gonna have problems. There is not a true number one receiver for Ohio State this year. That, you know, one week it might be Benjamin. You know, another week it could be Paris Campbell. Good players, but not great. And again, this is the number one pass efficiency defense. I'm telling you, folks, people have doubted Wisconsin all year long. This program, this entire state, has been waiting for this opportunity to showcase what Paul Christ has done. I think it's a bit of a coming-out party for people who have doubted Wisconsin. You
0: look like you're— I'm
1: getting excited. I'm starting—my face is turning the color of the Wisconsin jerseys
0: now. (laughs) Now, do I have to remind you we both picked Minnesota last week against Wisconsin? You didn't buy
1: them then. I'm just I saying. was hoping you wouldn't remind uh, Well, I, I, we I, thought would look ahead. I thought there would be a look-ahead effect. But again, that's even more of a reason to like Wisconsin. No, I, this team is this team has a razor focus. I agree.
0: And Jim Landon, the defensive coordinator, has done a fantastic job. And it will come down to third downs. You look at Wisconsin holding opposing offenses to 28% on third down conversions. Ohio State, as an offensive unit, is converting 49% of the time. If they can move the chains and, like you said, jump up early on Alex Horn, could be a long day for the Wisconsin offense. I'll say this about a formation perspective. Joe Moorhead and Penn State spread Wisconsin's defense out in the second half last year. Look for the same type of game plan. It's not so much uh, an up-tempo attack, but if they could spread the Wisconsin defense thin on the front seven, that'll open up running lanes for Dobbins, Haskins, or Barrett. And that's where I look for Ohio State to have success. Now, Ohio State... Rock solid in third-down defense as well, holding opposing offenses to 35% on third-down conversions. Wisconsin's great. They're 50% third-downs as an offensive unit. But they've struggled in recent weeks in terms of consistency, and that's where I look to play out in Indianapolis a little bit later.
1: Well, you you bring up an interesting point. You just made me think about something. Uh, Last year was demoralizing for the Badgers. That was a game they should have won. I mean, they just collapsed down the stretch. They should have been Big Ten champs. They should have been facing USC in the Rose Bowl and lost that game. I wonder if there's any kind of... uh, it's not revenge because it's a different opponent but i wonder how wisconsin approaches this knowing they were so close last year before trace mcsorley just went off i mean they really took the top off the defense with some long balls wisconsin gets a shot at redemption and again i you know i i don't let the fan side of me come out that often you know my my alma maters do not play fbs football so it's not like i have a dog in the fight but I I just love the way Wisconsin prepares. They don't make mistakes. They do the little things well. They create turnovers. They'll get after the quarterback. Third down offense and third down defense, they've consistently been been amongst the best in the country. They're strong at the line of scrimmage. I think that kind of a disciplined, well-coached team is going to give problems to Ohio State, which has largely been inconsistent. Again, better athletes, but inconsistent They've had some lapses on the back end of the defense. The offensive line has been much better of late, but I think there are some vulnerabilities, so look for someone like a Garrett Dooley to have some success coming off the edge of all the games I think i'm I'm interested in this one the really? most. I really am because you know Wisconsin, I want to see Wisconsin with an opportunity to prove it they've heard all year long as they've sat outside the top four you're not good enough, you haven't played anybody and that. That was true. They really haven't played anybody this season. I, I'm not sure how much I count you know, Michigan and Iowa. This is their opportunity to really prove it, and, and that, for that reason, it fascinates me. A
0: lot of pressure on this team, though. A lot of pressure. Not just to win a Big Ten championship. This is make it or break it for the college football playoff because Ohio State needs help. Now, if Ohio State gets up, look for Urban Meyer to put the pedal to the metal because style points matter. If you're Wisconsin, you're saying, let's just get through this game. If we're winning, we don't care if we win by a point. Let's just get through and become 13-0 because then they'll punch their ticket to the college football playoff. We'll see how it plays out. It's an 8 o'clock start. I think all the pressure on the Wisconsin Badgers in this ball game,
1: and you have to give the coaching advantage to Urban Meyer and the crew. I would, but I've given the coaching advantage to Urban Meyer uh, quite a bit over the past year, uh, and didn't impress against. No, Kirk I agree. Farrant. I agree. And also, I, I gave him. I liked Ohio State. It was a week two or week three against Oklahoma. Three. Week three again against Oklahoma because it was Lincoln Riley and and they completely collapsed so maybe we're giving too much credit to Urban Meyer. we will see. Point. Rich likes Wisconsin, I like Ohio State. When we come back, ACC
0: Championship, the U and Clemson. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network Studio Thirty Four. Music from our great producer oh. P. Considori. Fist pumping music yeah. as he
1: said. Better than the caffeine at well, this point. Well we're let's fist pump
0: it right now into our best selections. We both I think we're both even on the year. You mentioned I, I that. I think we're I think
1: we're actually Deadlocked right down to one tie. Deadlocked on (laughs)
0: championship Saturday. Just the way it should be. And we're not going to break these games down in in great detail, but we'll start off with the selection. I love Clemson today. It's an 8 o'clock kick. We're going to break it down in next hour, but I love Clemson's front seven going up against an injured Miami team and Malik Rogier later today.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. It's one of my best bets of the day. I just think Clemson is in championship mode right now. This team has done it before, won the last two ACC titles Love what Mark Richt has done. I mean, the program has has had a great season, but offensively, Malik Rozier has been sketchy, accuracy issues. Joe, I think they'll have problems against that Clemson defense. Yeah,
0: we'll see. Uh, 12 o'clock kicked, Big 12 championship. Rich and I are bucking heads here. I love Gary Patterson in the rematch, 38-20. to 20. They lost to Norman. Not today, 37.
1: TCU, Oklahoma 33. Boy, that would be a a surprise for me, only because I I think Oklahoma is like a a locomotive right now led by Baker Mayfield. And, And TCU does have the best defense in the Big 12, but where did that get them a couple of weeks ago. You referenced the, the Sooner victory, 38-20. to 20. Rodney, forget Baker Mayfield for a second, Rodney Anderson has been fantastic on the ground. The receivers have developed, like Marquise Brown and C.D. Lamb. I just think too much offense for Oklahoma. More competitive this time around, but I like the Sooners.
0: 12 o'clock kick, it's an AAC championship rematch where UCF did get the 40-13 to 13 win over Memphis and, and Riley Ferguson. I think they get it done as well. I love the way they're playing on the offensive side of the board lead the nation in turnover margin with plus 17. To me, that's the difference. UCF, a 14-point win over Memphis. You know, it's
1: interesting about this game is a lot of fan bases around the country are going to be interested in this game because, you know, Scott Frost on the UCF side, Mike Norvell from Memphis... One of those gentlemen could be that fan base's head coach next year. I if mean, these not are, both. Yeah, exactly. These are two of the hottest young head coaches in the country. Now they go head-to-head for the second time. Uh, I like UCF as well. Just, you know, great offense. I think it'll be an entertaining game, but a significantly better defense for the Knights. That'll be the difference. We spoke about it in the last segment. I love Urban Meyer to get a 10-point
0: win with the Buckeyes in Indianapolis, but Rich thinks Wisconsin goes
1: bowling in the college football playoff. The only thing, well, two things would make this game better for me. Uh, Just from a fan's perspective, if it was not indoors, because Big Ten football games in December should be outdoors, preferably on grass. Indoors at Lucas Oil Stadium, eh, not my favorite. Not Big Ten football. The other request I would have is if Joe and I could watch this game together. I mean, if if Joe and I could, because I can't wait for this game. I know Joe loves Ohio State. I absolutely love Wisconsin. I think it's a showcase game. For all things Badgers, that defense is going to front. The bad, you know, there's good JT Barrett and bad JT Barrett. I think we see bad JT Barrett tonight against the Badger defense.
0: Well, that's not the game I want to watch with you front and center stage. I want to see this SEC championship game with you. My dogs and Kirby Smart in the rematch going up against Carrion Johnson and Gus Bus.
1: Yeah, that would be fascinating as well. I, I don't, I actually like Wisconsin more than I like Auburn. I do like okay. Auburn in that game, but Wisconsin to me is just, I, I think they're a sleeping giant. I continue to, I hope everybody doubts this program because they're feeding off of it. And they are going to be fired up against Ohio State. Little revenge factor too, after the Cardell Jones blowout from what three True. years ago? Fifty
0: nine to nothing. Yeah. I mean, they ha- that's bu- bulletin board material for the Wisconsin Badgers. Make no mistake about it; it is an eight o'clock kick. When Rich and I come back, we'll be diving into the Big Twelve championship games, along with the other conference championships. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonella, live in the Fantasy Sports Radio Network Studio Thirty Four.